Friday we had a funeral service here at Prince of Peace for Joe Brown, and as chosen in many funeral services, the family chose this gospel to be read at the funeral. And afterwards, uh, as we were eating lunch and, and gathering with the family and talking, somebody approached me and said, All right, Pastor, I want to know what you Lutherans believe about baptism. Because I had talked about baptism at this funeral service. And this man kept on asking me over and over again, Who do you think is in? Who do you think is out? What about this group? What do you think about them, Pastor? And I said, I think there's enough grace for everyone. And he said, but what do you think about this group, Pastor? I said, I think there's enough grace for everyone. And eventually I said, there is even enough grace for you, and I'm going to go get some lunch. (laughs) (laughs) When, When preaching on this same text from John's Gospel way back in 2012, Pastor David Lose, who was then a preaching professor at Luther Seminary, asked the room he preached to what the difference was between a threat and a promise. It seems a simple enough question, right? We can ask this question of ourselves now. What is the difference? A promise, we might say, is a statement without condition. I will always love you. That's a promise. But as Dr. Lowe stated, what if I said I will always love you if you love me? That's different, right? And there's an implied condition to it. It becomes a threat. If you don't love me, or perhaps even if you don't love me like I think you should love me, then I won't love you. So this gospel today, which Dr. Los was preaching on, which I preached on on Friday. What is it? Is it threat or is it promise? In verse 3, Jesus says to the disciples, I am going to prepare a place for you so that where I am, there you may also be. Promise or threat? Promise. There we go. Yes, promise. Good. Good for you. What about verse 6? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Promise or threat? Promise. But it is not as easy this time, is it? By a show of hands, how many of you have heard this verse as only promise, no threat? Just a few. How many of you have understood it and heard it as more of a threat? More conditional. You can raise your hands. It's okay. So part of this discussion slash argument, let's be real, that I got into on Friday was because I hear this verse as pure promise and the man I was talking to understood it to be more of a threat. Same verse, different reading. We're going to spend a little time on this verse today, the verses around it as well, because I think it's important to put this verse back in its context to really understand just what Jesus was saying. And despite the comfort we do find in this text during funerals, it is a lot more than a funeral sermon. 
Today's text is from John's Gospel. It is a part of the larger narrative commonly referred to as the farewell discourse. Jesus is about to leave his disciples, and he is taking this time to tell them what he wants them to know. And he starts off this discourse by telling them to not be worried, to believe in God, believe also in him. The Greek word that we translate as believe can also be translated as trust. Trust in God, trust also in me, Jesus says. There are Lutheran churches, even in our own area, who use the word trust in place of believe in the Apostles' Creed. I trust in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. We are actually going to try this today when we say the creed together. So prepare yourselves. Jesus begins by telling the disciples not to worry. Trust in God. Trust in him. That even though things aren't going to look the same as they once did, it'll be okay. Jesus might not be walking with them and right next to them, but God is still at work in the world. It's important then, at this point, to remember what John declares as the purpose of Jesus in this gospel. The mission of Jesus, according to John, is to reveal God to the world. So Jesus is telling the disciples that they know who God is because they have seen Jesus. And they aren't going to be alone because where Jesus is, there we will be also. That is just pure promise. And then, as usual, the disciples go and muck it all up. Thomas and Philip are so great in these verses because they are all of us. They ask the questions we all have in the back of our head but are sometimes too afraid to ask out loud. Jesus says, don't worry, where I am you'll be also. And Thomas says, but Jesus, can you just show us the way to get to where you're going? Because I like a plan. I really like knowing where I'm going, and so I don't take a wrong turn somewhere. Can you just give me the address, and then I'll punch it into my GPS, and then I won't make any mistakes on the way from me to you. And Jesus looks at him and says, Thomas, you don't need GPS. You have me. I am the way. You don't need a map. You don't need directions. Me. All you need is me. Again, pure promise. Yet somehow, we have turned this around. We've made this widening of God's grace into this really narrow gate. And we've turned this pure promise into a threat. If you don't believe in Jesus, you are in trouble. If you don't believe the right way, which usually means the way I believe, your salvation may be in jeopardy. Yikes, right? What if, what if reading this like that is just wrong? And I think it is, so I'm going to say it's wrong. It is wrong. What if we believed that this was really just pure promise? See, Thomas hears this promise, don't worry, I've got you. And he immediately wonders how he's going to screw it up. I get it. I do the same thing. 
It's okay, Jesus says. You know me. I came here. I found you. Don't worry. No need to panic. No need to scramble to say the right words or do the right thing. Even when you don't get it. Even when you want perfect, step-by-step, Google Google, Google Maps approved directions from here to there. I'm telling you, you don't need them. The way is me, Jesus says. Jesus is telling his disciples in this moment that God is fully revealed in Jesus. And that's not to say that God is not revealed in other ways. Anyone who has stood on top of a mountain or looked up at the expanse of stars in the sky or watched the waves of the ocean roll ashore has had God revealed to them. And there are a million other ways where we join with God in the creation and redeeming work in this world. God is revealed in service to others, in bread and wine, in water and word, in creation, in each other, in death, in new life. But if you're like Thomas, if you're looking for a Roadmap, a blueprint, a turn-by-turn set of directions to get you to God, Jesus says, stop. Look no further. You know God best by knowing Jesus. And then Philip, after Jesus says, if you know him, you know the Father, Philip says, okay, that's fine, but how will you just show us the Father? And then... We'll believe you. We just need just a little more. I mean, we trust you, Jesus. We do. We do. But can you just give us a better picture of what you're talking about? Jesus gets a little salty after this. And you know me. I like when Jesus gets a little salty. It made me feel better about how I responded at the end of my conversation on Friday. Because if Jesus gets salty, then maybe it's okay when we do too. But what I love about this moment is Jesus is saying, this is not just for the disciples then, gathered around him in that moment, but for us now. He says to Philip, you do know God, Philip, because you know me. Philip is asking to see God, which all of us have asked before, right? Give me a sign, just show me one more thing, and then I'll really believe. And Jesus says, you already have That's it. You know me, so you know God. When you trust this, then you have all you need, he says. Verse 12 in today's text says, Very truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and in fact do greater works than these, because I am going to the Father. At first read, this might come across as we're expected to change water into wine, and if that were true, trust me, my life would be very different. Or we're supposed to raise people from the dead, but no, that is not what Jesus is saying here. When you believe, when you trust, remember those words are interchangeable here, you will be with me, and then you will do even more with me than any of us can do by ourselves. 
See, this is what it means to join with God in bringing the kingdom to those in this world today. This is the heart of today's gospel. Jesus is telling his disciples, don't worry, I've got you. And his disciples are saying, okay, but I'm so worried. And Jesus says, if you know me, and you do, you know God. So it's okay. Jesus makes God known to us and then asks us, those listening, those around him, to do the same for others. By doing things the way Jesus did. By crossing boundaries and loving extravagantly and showing up in places where the love of God is least expected. That is what Jesus did. You want to know what God is like? Today Jesus says you already do. Because we know Jesus. And that changes everything. There's a traditional hymn, some of you may know actually Katie sang the first verse of it as our call to worship. It comes from a poem by Frederick Faber called There's a Wideness in God's Mercy. And I'm going to close this morning with the words from this hymn because I think it so clearly illustrates what Jesus is getting at as he speaks to his disciples to not worry, to be reminded that he is with us, and that because we know Jesus, we know God and that we can trust what that means for us and for the world. So I'd ask you to listen and make this your confession and prayer this morning. There's a wideness in God's mercy, like the wideness of the sea. There's a kindness in God's justice, which is more than liberty. For the love of God is broader than the measures of our mind, And the heart of the eternal is most wonderfully kind. But we make this love too narrow by false limits of our own, and we magnify its strictness with a zeal God will not own. Make our love, O God, more faithful. Let us take you at your word, and our lives will be thanksgiving for the goodness of the Lord. That was written in the 1800s, which is astounding because, like the Word of God so often does, it meets us right here in this moment today. And that line, that line of that hymn that gets me every time, let us take you at your word. That's what it means instead of believe when we say trust. Let us take you at your word that you are enough that we are enough just as we are. That it's not about who's in or out, but just how big and wide God's love is for us, for all of us. I want us to say that last part together. Nick's got it on the screens for us. So, make our love, oh God, more faithful. Let us take you at your word. And our lives will be thanksgiving for the goodness of the Lord.
come as you are.